Hello everyone and welcome to episode 11 of the Aviation Spiders podcast. I am your host, Colin. And I hope you all enjoyed my episode 10 with Durfum. I thoroughly enjoyed doing that interview and I think he really did enjoy talking about with him being a weapons system officer and his love of aviation and photography. So this week is a very special week because my guest this week was recommended by my one of my listeners. The goal I set out to do to get people involved with this podcast and send me people has paid off. And we'll get to know my guest here in a little bit. But before that, we're changing the format up a little bit. So I decided that this part would be dedicated to any listener question that anybody may have about camera setup or just general stuff. But I also wanted to do something a little bit different. What I think I'm going to start doing is when the week of this episode airs, I found some days in aviation history that I think is interesting. So since this episode is airing the week of September 6th through September 12th, I thought it would be fun to do what happened on this day in aviation history. So, I found some interesting days or events that happened on certain days that landed on the week of this podcast. So, let's start September 6th. In 1893, Claire Chanel, probably mispronounced his last name, but he was the American pilot famous for commanding the Flying Tigers or the AVGs during World War II, was born. In 1940, the first production Douglas Scout Bomber, or the SBD Dive Bomber, was delivered to the U.S. Navy. This aircraft was later known as the Dauntless. 1976. Victor Belenko of the Soviet Union defects to the west, landing the MiG-25 Foxbat in Japan, which was later reverse-engineered by the Americans. In 1983, the Soviet Union admits to shooting down Korean Air Flight 007, and they stated that the pilots did not know it was a civilian aircraft that when it violated Soviet airspace. In 2006... Frontier operated a new airline called Lynx Aviation, and for those that lived in the U.S. and remember it, they used to fly the Dash 8 Q400. Alright, moving on to September 7th. In 1909, the U.S. Army's first aerodrome, an airfield or an airport, is established in College Park, Maryland. In 1940, Hermann Goering orders the Luftwaffe to stop targeting British airfields and start attack London itself. And you, as you will find out in the interview, my grandmother was there for the Blitz. In 1965, the first flight of the AH-1 Cobra, which would later go on as one of the most proliferated attack helicopter families in the world. 1995, Space Shuttle Endeavor launches on STS-96. And in 1997, on September 7th, the, the first flight of the F-22 Raptor, it reached 15,000 feet in less than three minutes. September 8th, 1927, the Cessna Corporation is established. 1967, NASA launches the Lunar Lander Surveyor 5. It will eventually shoot and transmit 19,049 photographs back to Earth in preparation for the Apollo moon landings. 1997, a lot of sounds in this one, the Boeing 777-300 is rolled out, 
It will be the longest airliner until the A340-600 beats it in 2001. In 2000, Space Shuttle Atlantis on STS-106 launches for an ISS resupply. September the 9th. 1955, American Airlines, Transworld Airlines, and United Airlines agree to adopt domestic coach class for transcontinental flights across the United States. In 1966, the Concorde's Rolls-Royce Olympus engines had begun test flights underneath a modified Avro Vulcan bomber. And I did not know the Vulcan was used for the Rolls-Royce Olympus testing. That's pretty cool. 1980, Island Air, a Hawaiian airline, has started operations. In 1994, Spatial Discovery makes its 20th trip to orbit on STS-64. And in 2006, the first flight of the Boeing 747 large cargo freighter. This is also known as the Dreamlifter. September 10th, 1908. Orbital Wright flies 1 hour, 3 minutes, and 15 seconds, becoming one of the longest flights ever at the time. In 1942, the U.S. Army Air Force's Air Transportation Command establishes the Women's Auxiliary Fairing Squadron, known as the WAFs, an, organi an organization of civilian women pilots who ferry military aircraft from factories to airfield to free male pilots for combat duty. In 1993, Boeing finishes production of their 1,000th 747 airplane, 27 years, correction, 26 years after the 747 program was launched. September 12th, 1943, Benito Mussolini was freed from that daring raid by Walter Gerlach in a Friesler Storch. Now, for those that don't know that, you should guys go look that up. It's a pretty interesting story. 1991, Space Shuttle Discovery launches on STS-48 for Upper Atmospheric Research Satellite Deployment. 1992, Space Shuttle Endeavour launches on STS-47, and it is a Japanese-funded mission. I left the 11th of September last. There are a lot of aviation histories on the 11th of September, but we all know the 11th of September as the 19th anniversary this year of the tragic terrorist attacks that killed 2,977 people in New York City, Washington, D.C., and Shanksville, Pennsylvania. You will never forget the lives lost on this day. Anyhow, like I said earlier, my guest was recommended to me by one of my listeners, and I'm so thankful for that. So I can't wait for you guys to hear this interview with Ashley Wallace from Hartfordshire, England. I hope you guys enjoy it, and we'll see you back here in just a little bit. guys so this week's guest we are talking with ashley wallace from hertfordshire england and believe it or not this is my first recommended guest by somebody who listened to the podcast and actually sent me a message and say hey i think this guy should come on so i messaged ashley and he agreed to come on so guys this is what this is meant to do and so this is awesome. This is the first time I actually get an interview a guest that was recommended. So anyway, Ashley, um, 
thank you for coming on and, and agreeing to do this with with me. No, thanks for having me on. It's an honor. Absolutely, man. Um, so let's just jump right into the questions. So let's get to know you a little bit. Uh, so you said you're from. We said you're from Hertfordshire, England. But uh, you know, where did you live at before that? And uh, how did you get into spotting? Yeah, so um, I grew up in Hertfordshire, England. Um, I lived in a little village, which was about, I think, about five miles from Duxford, um, which you probably a few few listeners might know. Duxford, the Imperial War Museum, home to the Flying Legends and all the warbirds. Um, so I lived there for about twenty years, I think it was, um, and then my parents decided to move out of the little village we were in to a little village in Suffolk called Red Lodge um, which is about again five six miles from RF Mildenhall so it's quite quite handy um, and then I think we were there oh I lived there with my parents for about three years before I met my partner um, and then I moved back to Hertfordshire and I now live in a town which is not far away from where I used to previously live. No, that's pretty cool. Um, for those that don't know, my uh, my grandmother used to live in England during the war and she was there during the Blitz and the Little Blitz. So I actually do have a connection to England and hopefully I will be able to go see my family ancestry and all that stuff over there very, very soon. So how did you get into uh, aviation photography? Because you know you grew up really close to all these bases. So is that kind of how you, you got into it? Yeah, yeah, I think the main reason I got in was my parents, you know, ever since I was, well, I think a year I was born, um, my parents took me to the RAF Milner Air Fate Air Show, um, and ever since then, it became a yearly event, um, obviously went to Duxford, um, but yeah, Milner was, was the big, big show, you know, growing up, that was the show you look forward to every year, it was, uh, it was awesome. Yeah. So the Imperial War Museum in Duxford, is that where they have that English electric lightning that does the uh, taxis and like the, the high-speed runaway passes? No, that um, that's actually based at an airfield. Well, it used to be at an airfield in Bruntingthorpe. They had like a, a collection of old Cold War jets. Um, they had, I think it was two lightnings. They had a Victor, um, a VC-10, uh, a few uh, Canberras, uh, quite a large collection of, you know, old RAF, Cold War mm, jets, okay. um, and they used to taxi run them down down the the airfield. Um, but I think uh, I don't really know too much about it. But a couple of weeks ago, they've stopped that now, and and the Lightnings have actually moved from Bruntingthorpe down to a, a little airfield in Gloucestershire, I think, in the Cotswolds. And the actual Cold War jet days at Bruntingthorpe, I don't think are going to run anymore. Oh, that's too bad, man. I've seen some of those videos of them doing that high speed. Yeah, it's pretty you awesome. Know, and all that. And just, you know, being able to, even though it won't, it's not able to fly, which honestly it would have been really cool if they were able to get that thing airworthy and fly it to Gloucestershire. Yeah. Because, I mean, 
It's kind of like how they did that, the, the 727 a couple of years ago when they ferried it from uh, Payne to Boeing Field. Yeah. There was actually a time uh, quite a few years ago now. It must, it must be, what, 10 years ago, um, where the Victor did a fast taxi run and it actually mm-hmm. got airborne for, for a, oh, a wow. fraction of a second. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And, uh, yeah, it, it literally got a few feet off the ground and he managed to put it down. Um, it popped the chute and it managed to stop. But it, you know, see, being there and witnessing it, I'm, I wasn't, but I've seen videos and it was, yeah, it was quite scary. <laughs> I can imagine the, the crew would, were just like, maybe we should just go around, you know, take it around yeah. and, and land it. <laughs> but he, they managed to, to stop themselves. It, it just came to a, a halt safely. But, um, yeah, it's pretty pretty awesome. I mean, at what point are you able to like say, okay, we're not gonna have enough room to stop, so exactly, instead of yeah. overrunning and potentially harming somebody on the ground or killing somebody, yeah, this letter fly one last time. Yeah, yeah. God, God. Hopefully, I'll be able to see that one day. And just, I like how England preserves their aviation history you know whether it be like let's say like with the vulcan you know the, how, the, how the, the vulcan is too expensive to keep flying but they'll still you know fire up and taxi her and um with the lightnings especially with the um the battle of britain commemoration oh the, the bbms they have the, the battle of britain memorial yes. yeah the mo- memorial flight, yeah. yeah which man i i one that's that's on my bucket list items to see is the spitfires the hurricanes and the lancaster do a flyover just in england at this kind because this was what the 80th anniversary of the Battle of Britain that just started, isn't it? When the time of recording this, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, well, hopefully one day we'll uh, we'll I'll be able to go over there and see that for sure. But um, anyway, so how many years then have you been taking photos of airplanes? It sounds like you started at a very very early age. <clears throat> yeah, so um, well, I'm so I'm I'm 30 now, and I got my first camera, my first. Well, actually, I stole my mum's compact <laughs> film camera when I was probably about eight or nine um, and used to just take it around when I was at the shows. Um, yeah. And I, I got, I, I think the first time I really got into photography was when I was about 12, when I got my first SLR film camera. That was when it, it sort of, I became hooked, you know. Yeah. You know, I went to the shows I was getting film rolls and rolls of film developed um, and it was costing me an actually arm and a leg but you know I loved it um, and ever since then it's just grown as a, as a as a passion yeah well that's pretty cool and during before we started recording you told me that you actually did some freelance work for combat aircraft right? yeah that's correct yeah yeah so I've done a a few um features for them over the last four four years that's pretty cool and and also do some other stuff for your actual work that involves you traveling yes globally yeah so um i i'm a portrait school portrait photographer as my day job um i work work for an international school photography company traveling across the world um photographing students in big international schools um across the middle east and asia so yeah so we do 
quite a few schools in, in Doha and Qatar, um, which I actually managed to work and coincide with a magazine feature that I was doing for combat aircraft uh, back in 2018, I think it was, um, where I had, I had a job in Qatar um, shooting at a school for about four days and Qatar don't go to school on a Friday. That's their day off. And on the run up to the job, I managed to organize, uh, you know, a lot of work, organize a visit to Al-Udid Air Base. Um, oh, wow. And I did, I spent a day with the 9th Bomb Squadron on live operations oh, wow. at oh, al wow. which was probably one of my highlights since you know doing photography it was it was awesome um a lot of work it was very touch and go um even to the day you know the morning that i woke yeah. up to to go and meet meet the guys out of the base and public affairs and, and the commander of the ninth at the time it was it, you know it was very close to not happening um but the commander was was just awesome he you know, one of the nicest commanders I've ever met. Um, couldn't do enough for me. Um, and yeah, spent a day interviewing the guys and girls on the 9th Expeditionary Bomb Squadron who were on their six-month deployment, um, flying live missions out over Iraq and Syria for Operation Inherent Resolve. And yeah, it was just fascinating, you know. That it is was pretty awesome, yeah. That is awesome. And for those that don't know, the ninth bomb squadron are B one Lancers. Yeah. So yeah, the, the B one, um, so the mighty B one. Just getting to play with some bones during live combat operations must have been just one of the absolute highlights of your photography career. I yeah, bet. I mean, it was a couple of years previous, back in 2016, I visited Dias in Texas. Um, and I worked okay. with the 28th Bomb Squadron and I did a feature on the schoolhouse because obviously the, the 28th Bomb Squadron is is the uh, training squadron, the B1 training squadron. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I did a feature uh, on that, um, made some, um, some quite good contacts and good friends, you know, some good pilot, B1 pilot friends and um, the, the public affairs officer at the time who, again, was extremely helpful, um, came over to Fairford uh, two years later, I think it was, was it two years later, or a year later, I think it was, um, on a deployment to Fairford when they sent three, I think, three or four jets to Fairford in the summer, which sadly ground to a halt because they had an ejection seat issue and the whole fleet were grounded. So they came over, Every, every, all the jets were grounded. They couldn't do anything. Um, but I still went down. I met the public affairs officer and we, uh, you know, went out for a drink. And um, he said, um, you know, I loved the feature and, and stuff like this. And, and then we got onto the subject of, of you know, Ali Deed and, and it all sort of started from there. Um, and then, yeah, it was just from seeing them training and, and you know, students going through the, the course on the B1 and and then go into Alu Deed, which is, you know, live ops, was just fascinating. It 
you know, seeing them doing their thing for real was was amazing. Um, and you know, I sort of embedded with with the guys and girls throughout the from the beginning of the day to the moment they literally taxied was was pretty pretty special. Yeah, that is extremely special. That's a very, I mean, you got to meet them. It's like you kind of like you know you you, you kind of quote quote grew up with them watching them you know train and then yeah you know you're their tdy of the first deployment then actually going to like legitimate combat yeah and that's that's something really really special right there that's that's pretty pretty yeah cool, so i mean i think the, the one of the best things was um obviously we went for lunch and we were chatting and i did a couple of interviews with the guys and girls and before they went to their mission brief and then the commander was was just like you know what what kind of shots you're looking for you know what what is it you you want in anything that i can do to help just let me know um Mm -hmm. and i think the one shot that i wanted if it was possible was to get in the cockpit before they launched with the with the guys in the cockpit going through their pre-flight to get a shot of them you know getting ready and he said yeah no we can make that work we can make it work and uh we were, we took a drive out to the jet. The jet was running. Um, the two wizos and and the, the two pilots were there waiting. They boarded the jet, and then for five minutes, the commander said, "You're free to go up." And so I managed to <laughs> go into the uh, a running B1, which was full of ordnance, um, if you like. Yeah. Five minutes before they taxied to fly their mission over Iraq. It was, yeah, it was pretty, pretty special. Wow. That's something that will probably never happen again. Exactly, yeah. You know, that's one of those, it's like, you know what? Go big or go home. And he said yes. And it's like, make every single frame and every single second count when you're up yeah, there. Yeah, I, I mean, it was something that, you know, on the, the lead up to it, you know, emails and phone calls, you know, what, what are you looking for? And I, I'd literally just said that, this is what I'm hoping for. I'm not going to expect everything. You know, you just have to, you know, the worst they can say is no. And um, it -hmm. just happened that the commander at the time, who's now left, he um, works, I think he works in the Pentagon now, but um, he was just so helpful. And, you know, he said, yeah, no, we can do it. And, you know, that moment will will stay with me for for a long time. You know, I don't think I'll ever get that chance to, to do that in that environment again yeah so so yeah, yeah. It, was, it was awesome you just made a lot of people jealous <laughs> by saying that story i'm going to say that right I now think um, i kind of had to but, say it because it's one of you know it's the biggest highlight i think for me i'm yeah um you know, I've, I've been flying and and stuff like that and flown in c-130s and i don't know what it was about that it was there was something you know me being an absolute a huge fan of the B1. That was that was something that yeah is is as close as I'll get to flying in one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you're now you're going to come up with another story when we reach the uh, telespotting story <laughs> question. So uh, keep thinking yeah, about no, another I've, one because I'm going to ask you another one. Yeah. one but it's safe. Yeah, I'm about to say if you have that sort of story, I think we'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> but something else, but. Um, so what other so another couple questions uh what you can see your home airport and then what other hobbies do you have besides 
aviation photography or just in in your case your career so yeah so i do a, i like to indulge in a little bit of astrophotography um i've been doing that quite quite a bit throughout this lockdown period I've, yeah i've been photographed the milky way and stuff like that other hobbies obviously i've got two children so they take up quite a bit of my time you know the family yeah. <laughs> um spending time with them and yeah and just just friends and chin spotting is is great you can you can go out you meet your friends while you're out there yeah you kind of has to balance it between those and and your family and mm-hmm. <laughs> and your work so but yeah. yeah it's i can't think of anything else really i do i collect yeah. a lot of patches coins that's i guess that's a interest and a hobby as well i i, I did the same it, thing it gets so it, it gets expensive, expensive. um yeah and it, it's a very slippery slope yeah so i got quite yeah. a few what would what would you consider your, your home so airport my home airport my my nearest air base is rf mildenhall and rf lakeneath they're about 40 minutes from me um my okay. parents actually live like 10 minutes away from from mildenhall so obviously there you've got you've got the kc-135s You've got the CV-22s, the Ospreys, MC-130, Commando 2s, and obviously you get a lot of visiting aircraft that transit through. You don't get as much as you used to, you know, turn back the clock 10 years, but Mm -hmm. you still get a few nice gems pass through every now and again. Yeah, with uh, the bases in Germany slowly starting to wind down, you might see a lot of that sort of stuff. Yeah, that, that, you know, there was time where Milner was going to close, you know, it was, it was, rumored that it was going to close and and but apparently they've pulled that um and it's now due to stay open and um, with stuff pulling out of germany we it could could start to get busy again which is never a bad thing yeah absolutely especially in this day and age right now where we're just hoping for something anyway man um uh, so let's move it on so let's, uh, so you talked about your amazing story with the B1s and all that, and you do freelance photography for not just uh, one of the most highly recognized aviation magazines in the world, but uh, for your career. So what type of camera do you use, and what have you currently used in the past? So yeah, I've always been a Nikon guy. I started with a, a Nikon uh, film, 35mm film SLR, and then from there I, I got a my first digital SLR, which was a Nikon D70, I think it was. And yeah, and just, just my camera bag has grown from then, really. Um, kits improved over the years. You know, you, you, you upgrade, your lenses get better. Um, so yeah, so mm-hmm. now I'm, I'm actually shooting with um, a D7100, um, which is about six years old now and she's still going strong um and i've also recently been shooting with a nikon d750 which is a full frame um so i have the sort of the best of both worlds i've got a crop body and a full frame body which is quite handy really certain area or certain places you go and yeah i've got a range of lenses from they range from a eight mil fisheye lens I think it was a Samyang 8, 8mm fisheye lens, 14-24 f2.8 Nikon wide angle, which is, it is awesome. Dang. 
Um, it's a it's a nice bit of glass. Um, and then from there, I've got yeah. a 24 to 70, 2.8 uh, Nikon again. And then 70 to 200, 2.8. And then a 200 to 500 Nikon F5.6, which is one of the best yeah. telephoto lenses I've ever bought. It's just incredible. I agree. I use my dad's D7100 um, at Aviation Nation last year, and I actually borrowed my buddy's 200 yeah. to 500. Um, impressed. With that, and I was thoroughly impressed because I was using my the first day there because my Pentax K3 crapped out. Like the autofocus motor just went, and it just didn't want to do anything. So I used my, my Pentax K30 with my Sigma 50 to 500, and it just it just it wasn't doing that great. It has some shutter issues, so it's a really good for single shot, not for continuous. And then I brought my dad's D seventy one hundred because I wanted a camera that I could use. And I already knew at this point I I'm I'm going to invest in a new setup. Um, you know, all signs pointed I was going to go towards Nikon, but I didn't. I went to <laughs> the Canon. Um, but man he let me borrow that that lens and that second day of the show i got some of the best shots i've ever got at an air show because now i actually had a camera set up that actually worked yeah. at an air show you know like the aperture I, there, there wasn't a depth of field issue the autofocus was strong the images yeah. were sharp um that signal lens was great but it wasn't as was, was a soft lens so I was just like really it's, really impressed it's awesome i mean when with that lens i used to have a 300 fixed 2.8 before I mm. bought the 200 500 and I found it very restrictive you know when you're at, at certain places and locations aircraft would fill the frame pretty quickly and you have no mm -hmm. nowhere to go you know it's 300 300 mil and that's it um so when yeah. Nikon announced this 200 500 it was kind of you know wow okay a, a, a big range you know 200 to 500 mil it's yeah. got to be expensive. Um, and then when they announced the, the price, I was like, wow, you know, that's a lot of lens for the money. And I was very skeptical mm -hmm. about how good it would be. You know, and after watching photographer reviews on the lens and stuff, they were just blown away with it, especially wildlife photographers. And you can kind of gauge how good a lens is by, you know, by a wildlife photographer saying it's a good lens yeah. so yeah I, I bit the bullet and and bought one and oh it's just been incredible it's incredibly sharp and the depth of field yeah. is amazing especially when you're shooting wildlife yeah and and when it's cold and crisp it, you know when you get the light the nice light in the winter it's just unbelievable yeah man it's you, you, that is a lot of lens for the money and if people are um, looking for Nikon or looking at a telephoto lens and you're doing some di really distant photography, yeah, check sure. that one out. It's Definitely. worth your time. Um, I mean, you know, even Sam Ta Tamron Sigma, their quality has vastly improved over the years. So, I mean, there's a lot of options coming up in, uh, in, in this lenses yeah. right now, I too. Think, um, Sigma, I think Sigma bought out their sort of equivalent um, at the same time. Which was, is it a 160 to 600? Oh, yeah. I think it is. A 160 to 600, I think it is. I think it was, was a it? 60 to 600. Yeah, it was, 
either way, either, either way is a yeah. 600 millimeter max focal length, which is absolutely yeah, absurd so for a super lens. Obviously, Nikon lens. have to, you know, come up with something to compete, and and they come up with that, and you know, it's just been amazing. Yeah, Canon, you know, Canon came out with a 100 to 500 lens. However, it's a higher aperture, and it's only for the mirrorless, yeah, the mirrorless mount, which I really hope they can bring the aperture down. And bring it to the EF mount because I would love to have an extra hundred millimeters on on yeah, the five B, sure. so especially with a full <coughs> yeah, frame. Yeah, definitely. You know, you can. Yeah, having you know, a full frame, it, you need that little bit extra, don't you? Yeah, I, uh, Red Flag twenty three. I was using a one point four extender, and I've noticed that when I usually shoot at an f stop seven point one on with the one hundred four hundred, I put that one on, and the f stop at the focal length I'd be using, jumped to eight, and that was the minimal. And then the images came out soft. So I was just going, yeah, the second day I went without the extender and our images were sharp and all that. And But it's, you know, first time using, using that, yeah. just experimenting with it. Yeah, I think I, I used to shoot with a, a 1.7 times converter with my 7200. And I think I just had a really good converter. And it I yeah. never really had any problems, but I have heard you know, people having issues with the folks in the, you know, the, the images are not that crisp. Obviously, you know, you're putting another bit of glass in between your mirror and your, your lens, aren't you? So your sensor and, and your lens. So it's going to be a little bit, it's not going to be as crisp as if you were shooting without a converter, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But yeah, equipment and lenses and camera, they're just getting better and better all the time and and yeah it's hard to keep up (laughs) it really is you know and i found that it really is a a combination which works and and i've no sort of need to to change at the minute i'm really happy with it yeah that same thing with me is you know i got my setup and i plan on using the setup for yeah yeah forever (laughs) you know until like something happens which i hope it doesn't but uh you know anyway man um so let's start moving into the um the spotting stuff uh so what is your favorite airport and airplane to spot um i probably my favorite airport or airbase to spot is probably rf fairford especially in the winter months it's the light if you get the movements you know you have we have regular bomber deployments there um, throughout the year so if you get the weather and you get the movements it there's just no other place which is better it's just awesome you know yeah we've currently got six b-52s at, at fairfield at the minute um you know and when they're here they can fly four ships each day up to four ships each day which oh, is wow. an awesome sight to see um and if you get the weather, it's just awesome. You know, the images, the light's in the right place. Yeah, there's so many different locations you can shoot at. Um, yeah, I, I can't think of anywhere else, really, that's, that's as good and I enjoy mm-hmm. shooting at. You know, Mildenhall's only 40 minutes up the road from me. However, yeah. Fairford's two two and a half hours away. <laughs> but I'd rather go there to shoot yeah. at the moment just because it's... The light, the types of aircraft that are there, it's great. So, what would you say would be your favorite aircraft to go out in? Uh, oh, it's got to be the B one. Has to be the B one. Is is 
yeah it's always been a favorite of mine like you know the the it looks incredible it mm-hmm. sounds even better it, you know everyone should at least experience or everyone should experience a b1 departure at least once in their life you know there's yes. n- there's nothing out there I agree. like it um it's just pure awesomeness and if and you have to experience a night launch yes with the B1 that, if you're able to that is actually one thing which i haven't well i have i tell like i have experienced it when one's departed Milnor before but i'm really hoping to get out to red flag at some point in the future and experience one from there because i've seen the videos and they just it just looks awesome it, it was dude it was awesome i was there on the penultimate day of red flag and uh, unfortunately that week they had four b1s oh. all of them broke and then they fixed one and then one launched at during the day during the day sortie got him then he launched again at night and it was the most ungodly yes. sound i've ever heard in my life just had to you know the seeing four f16 engines or one b1 engine as i was corrected by a b1 pilot you know fly over yeah. you in the middle of the night it's just you know it was just, it was it was very yeah. shattering is what it was but the second day we moved down a little bit to get them taking off but with, with the mountain in the background at, at nels so we moved down there and I told the guys, I, I, I told the guys, like, dude, I have a feeling they're going to flex on departure. And they haven't flexed the whole entire flag. And for those that people that don't know what I'm talking about, uh, you've ever seen the photos at Nellis of the aircraft top yep. side? That's the flex departures or departure they have to, to fly for noise abatement over parts of the city. Believe it or not, it is noise abatement. And we're down there, and I'm like, dude, I got a feeling they're going to flex. You're going to do that. They have a flexed all flag. It's not going to happen. And guess what happened? <laughs> they both of them flexed. And I just like going. Was this in the dark? Or was this in it was during oh, the day? During the day. Awesome. And then and they and they went home after that. Awesome. So, but it's actually really cool though. Is I can't complain because I actually did get them low, kind of at a ba- a little sort like a starting the bank little top side of them on burner with the mountain in the background. So I can't complain about that. Even though it was backlit a little bit, I still got a pretty awesome picture of the bones. Pretty, you know, with the mountain. Awesome. So what is your favorite airplane then? Just in general. Favorite airplane? It's got to be the B1. Has to be still. (laughs) Yeah, in general. Um, Yeah. Yeah, followed by... The Eagle. I do like the F-15. Now which Eagle? Um, I'm going to say the C. The C model. Alright. Yeah. I'll respect that. Yeah, the C model. I, we've got, um, obviously we have the 493rd fighter squadron at Lake and Heath with their F-15Cs and mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think I prefer, yeah, I much prefer the C to the E. Yeah. Well, I will respectfully, um, I will respect your opinion. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, I know that it's always nice to see the Legacy Eagle. Uh, we just had a couple of them in Boise a few weeks ago from Louisiana. And 
it's just really, really cool and really nice seeing the C model every so often up here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, granted, you know, I, as people know, I absolutely adore and I love the Strike Eagle and all that. But, I mean, it's just always nice to see the Legacy Eagles uh, without the CFTs and into single-seaters and all that. Yeah. And just the, the light gray paint jobs and just seeing, you know, 104 to 0. Yeah, I think... Yeah, I mean, the Strike Eagle is an awesome jet as well. It's just an amazing jet. Um, oh, yeah. But, yeah, I, I, I do prefer the sea. But I, I prefer my big, big aircraft. I'm, I'm a lover of the big stuff. Yeah. You know, I love yeah. my bombers, the B-52, the B-2, B-1. I love all the tankers as well. The KC-10 is, is another favourite. I do love me some KC-10, you know, yeah. The, the tri-holder, or the free-holder, which is... It's a great. I flew on one actually um, out of Travis a couple of years ago, and that thing has got some power. <laughs> yeah. It was the first time I've flown on a, on a DC-10 compared to any other plane I've flown on. That thing can climb. Yeah, I've been on one of the uh, ten tanker fire bombers a few times at, at uh, NIFC National Inter- Interagency Fire Center. Have you really? And. Yeah, I've been on a Tanker, uh, it's Tanker 911 and Tanker, n- new Tanker 910. I got to go on uh, both of them. No, it was Tanker 912. Tanker 912. Okay. I got to go on. And it's literally, so you go up the stairs and the cockpit is a straight DC-10. We're talking a flight engineer, pilot, co-pilot, mm-hmm. the whole class cockpit, which is absolutely awesome to see. And then you 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 turn right and you'll realize there are there's like a row one row of first class mm-hmm. seats and that's it. It's an, it's everything is a hollowed out airplane and they have some of the overhead bins still there for like storage or like tools yeah. and other stuff. And then they have like a little staircase that goes down to where the uh, the, the the tanks are at for the fire mm-hmm. retardant. But otherwise, it's a hollowed-out DC-10. Wow. And it is so cool because they actually bolted down a picnic table. That's <laughs> <laughs> like just a picnic table, like right in the front of the jet. Um, I have some photos on my Instagram page. You guys want to go check that out of uh, the DC-10s. But my God, that was some of the coolest experiences ever. The fire bombers I love in general, the spot. But um, so I'm mistaken. You're more of a military aviation photographer over a, a civilian. Well, I do shoot guy. a little bit of civil, yeah. I do. I yeah. I spot a or shoot at Heathrow. I, I spent quite a few days over um, the winter at Heathrow, mainly to to okay. try and catch the BA one hundred special liveries. Oh yeah. Um, the seven four sevens that have got their special liveries. So I spent. Uh, I never got to see them, unfortunately. Yeah, never I mean, got it's, to. It's gutting. It's absolutely gut gutting that they've gone um and i've managed yeah. to get all of them luckily oh um, good but yeah so during the winter months i i, I kind of spent a couple of days at heathrow here and there um but yeah. military is where where my real passion lies yeah so what about your what's your favorite british built aircraft then if you have one? um what flying today or in general just in general um i i really miss Oh, it's not actually. I really miss the Harrier, the GR9 and the the GR7. Yeah, that was a 
a shame when they when they got rid of them. But yeah, I mean, flying today, there's not an awful lot <laughs> to choose from. And for, um, yeah, unfortunately, like really after the tornado retired. The, the tornado was... was a favorite, yeah. I think that was one of the last, last of the true British, well, fighter jets that the RF flew. It, you know, it was, it, yeah. two afterburners, just amazing. I spent yeah. quite a lot of time at Marham, at RF Marham, during their last few months of operations before they retired. Obviously, they painted three tornadoes in um, special markings. So you had 31 Squadron Gold Stars with a special tail, and then you had 9 Squadron, which had a bat on the tail, and then you had the, the GR4 um, retirement scheme, if you like, which was an all-over green camo <clears throat> retro mm-hmm. retro scheme which was which looked stunning it they they really they really oh, did yeah. a good job on it um and really i feel they really gave it a good send-off not only for Absolutely. the crews and every but for the whole aviation enthusiast community it was you know we you know it was yeah. really appreciated by everyone um because it's happened in the past you know that planes just sip, slip away and they they don't sort of make a big fuss about it um but with the tornado it, it the commander at marham at the time really wanted to give it a good send-off and you know it was great that they did they gave it one hell of a send-off and i've seen some of the low-level photos yeah. that a couple of my friends got now i don't it was i don't think it was through the loop it was through a different low-level area which um I actually do not know what it is, but I've seen the photos from there, which are absolutely just stunning yeah, to see so them. But they also I, fly I just, through uh, the Lake District, um, which is mm-hmm. north in, in Yorkshire. And, um, you know, obviously the Mat Loop was one of the places they used to fly. But Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, that's kind of... Unfortunately, that's... that's that place used to be... No longer, if you like. Um, yeah. There are other, there, they find other places to to go and oh, yeah. um, do their low level training yeah yeah uh, absolutely yeah. anyway man uh, so do you have a least favorite airplane to take a photo of or do you still have all your airplanes in general um a least favorite <laughs> I, I shoot most i shoot most planes really i mean i chase a lot of things that i like um but you know i won't sort of go out of my way to photograph something I don't like, if you know what I mean. So, um, mm-hmm. the Hawk, it, it's kind of boring compared to your T 45s. It's not the most glamorous looking plane, it's not the most interesting looking plane, I guess, or aircraft. But, um, but yeah, I kind of shoot everything and anything. You know, if, if I'm there and it passes yeah. the lens, I'll, I'll photograph it. Oh, that's, that's fair. So what is the rarest aircraft you have ever taken a photo oh, of? The rarest aircraft I've ever shot. Well, probably, it's actually out at, um, at Yuma in Arizona, actually. We were there in... Is it a B1? No, a B1 no, no, it's not a B1, no. <laughs> um, it was in 2009. We went over, me and three friends went out and we um, spent two weeks on the West Coast and we, we dropped by Yuma after a couple of days at... El Centro and on the other side of the military side of Yuma there's like a 
like a civilian area where a lot of light aircraft are, are kept. And yeah. we're driving down the road and we look over and we see this red and white or orange and white plane which looked very navy looking. And we sort of stopped and we, we had a had a look and it turned out that it was a US Navy O two A Pelican which which the U oh, wow. the um, the Marines or the Navy and the Marines use as I'm not actually sure what, what it does but there, I think there's only one one or two that they have and this happened to be sat in amongst all these Cessna 172s um, so we went out over to this hut and we knocked on the door and there was a guy who came out and, he, and I said oh, is there any chance we can go out and, and photograph that orange and white plane sitting over there and he said yeah come out took us down to the ramp and we photographed this O2A Pelican which usually they have a prop on the front and a prop on the rear because it's a push-pull system but mm-hmm. well, this one only had a prop on the rear um, with an extended nose which had some kind of radar or, or something in, inside the nose and it's actually belongs to MAWTF1 whatever that is um, but I think <laughs> they use it um, during their WTI exercises. Okay. But I'm not 100% sure exactly what it does because not, not a lot of people have, have seen it or photographed it. Um, so that probably has to be one of my rarest things I've photographed. Um, yeah, I literally just Googled it while yeah. you were saying that. And I was going, like, that's a Vietnam airplane. Then I looked up again, I'm going... Okay, that's that is definitely counts as one of the rarest things that in yeah, existence. I think so the, I the, think the you, actual squadron or the, the unit that it's assigned to, I believe it has a uh I think oh I can't think what the other plane is that it has, but it has another aircraft. Oh I can't remember what it is now. But yeah, it's got two types. It's got the O2 and then another type of aeroplane that um they use during these WTI exercises. And wow. yeah, they're pretty rare, I think. I'm not sure if it's still flying, actually, because that was quite a few years ago that I photographed it. But still, though, just being able to see that aircraft in general is absolutely probably, probably, that'll be probably the only time you'll probably ever see that aircraft. Yeah, again. I mean, yeah, obviously, we went back. A couple of years later and and it wasn't there so i'm not sure if it's based elsewhere or if it was if it was out flying at the time but i haven't seen it since no yeah man that definitely classifies as the rarest aircraft that's probably might be one of the you know the rarest aircraft that has ever been set on on this show so i think you might <laughs> hold that title as the, probably spotting the rarest aircraft and it's a little yeah. cessna so everybody out there bashing cessnas that is the rarest. I've never heard of one. I had to Google one, and it was a Cessna. So. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it was. <laughs> we we can believe. We we just thought it was maybe someone that had painted it yeah. in those colours. It was yeah. their own, their own O2, and they'd painted it. We didn't actually realise that it was actually assigned to the navy um, <laughs> with a, a, an actual unit, and it was just parked in amongst all these other 172s, which. It's quite amazing, really. Yeah. Maybe I just want to keep it incognito yeah, and stuff exactly. like that. And, and I, th- I think that, hey. that was probably the rarest plane I've photographed in the US. 
and I, I think the rarest plane I photographed in the UK um, was one of the P3s that's assigned to uh, if, let me just see I think it was um, the sneaky P3s EP, the EP3s? no it was a P3 from VPU2 yeah so at the time I think they were based in Hawaii and it, it was a P3 it dropped into Mildenhall and it's one of the P3s that has no serial number on the back mm -hmm. it just has a, a BU number on the front on the nose and no serial number so you couldn't even tell what airframe it was and yeah that was Believe that's probably not, the rarest I actually got one of those VPU2 sure. birds in Boise a couple about a month and a half ago um, how, however because with the Navy starting to draw oh, down the P3 operation with the exception of the reserve squadron the totems and then VQ1 yep um, I think that aircraft was was reassigned to VQ1 as a bounce bird. Okay. Because they had to have a few bounce birds, and then they only operate the EP3. Those EP3s are Vietnam air aircraft. They don't want to bounce those aircraft. Yeah, yeah, sure. For a number of reasons, even though the EP3 has eluded me in Boise six times, I've got it has flown over my house, it has bounced when I'm at work, and I have yet to get a decent picture of an EP3 in Boise. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and six on the EP3, one day. But um, I looked up the register, the serial, and it came back VPU2, but it's under the call sign Deep C, which is VQ1. So it got reassigned to yeah, um, be a bouncer. But still, it used to be be along, belong to that that squadron, which is a very very, like you said, sneaky squadron. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. To to get one come through through Milner was was quite rare. They tend yeah. to they tend to usually go through larges in the Azores and go the southern route instead of into Europe yeah. across Europe. Um, so yeah, it was it was quite a good catch to get that. Yeah, for sure. Hopefully, you thought of another spotting story uh, because let's hear let's hear another one, man. <laughs> so, uh, spotting story or or just a, a story from when I did a, a feature for the mag again. We, um, just whatever, whatever, whatever you yeah. think would be. Uh, yeah, so the listener would love. Back in two thousand and fifteen, I uh, did a little bit of work for the mag with Jamie Hunter, um, mm -hmm. flying with the three hundred and fifty second special ops group or special ops wing at RF Milner on the MC one thirty J. So we flew a night or an evening mission, training mission, out of Mildenhall over the east coast, um, refueling CV-22s over, over oh, the wow. North Sea, uh, around about 10,000 feet, so it's quite low over the water. Um, at sunset in the middle of the summer, it was um, awesome. So we left Mildenhall about half eight in the evening, and it was the one of... It, one of the rare clear days in the UK that we get, it was there was not a cloud in the sky. It was about 30, 32 degrees, 30, 32 degrees. We left Mildenhall, flew straight over to the East Coast where we joined the air refueling track um, over the North Sea um, where we waited for our two CV-22s to join us. 
and we refueled them for about half an hour, um, which we then broke formation. They went and did their thing, and we headed to Wales to the low fly Mac Loop. Oh, God. Um, oh, no way. Yeah, so it was about, must have been probably 11 p.m., um, so it was it was dark. The pilots had their MVGs on, um, and we, I'll tell you, before we went to Mac Loop, we actually hit a tanker, so we went up and refueled off a tanker in the pitch black with lights out, obviously because of special ops. Um, so we did an MVG plug on a KC-135 over the North Sea. <laughs> I had no MVGs at the time. So the two pilots had their MVGs on. The KC-135 had all their lights out and you couldn't see anything. It was pitch black. And the loadmaster handed me a set of goggles and he said, just put these on. So I put these goggles on and looked at the windscreen and the KC-135 were literally just sat above us. You would just <laughs> never know. It was incredible. Holy crap. Um, but they do this training, these lights out, refuels, and radio silent as well, just because it's all part of their mission, you know, special ops. Um, yeah. So we did that for about half an hour, topped up some fuel, and then we went towards Wales, and we did about two hours of low-level flying around the loop <laughs> um, in the middle of the night, probably down, to, I don't know how high we were, but we were low. I was in the cockpit looking down, you could just see the lights on houses flick by, you know, on the, on the ground. And yeah, we, we eventually landed back at Milnhor about half three in the morning. So yeah, we spent a whole evening, early morning with the special ops guys just showing us what they do and just incredible because it was all MVG and, is... you know for someone who didn't have MVGs in the cockpit and you couldn't see anything um, and they were doing low level flying around the, the hills in Wales and yeah it was, it was awesome more than awesome <laughs> um, God, what was it like doing aerial refueling than being aerial refueled so when we were when we were refueling the, the CV-22s, obviously we had the back door down. Um, the loadmaster was sat with us. Um, they they send out the, the drogues off the wings. And yeah. basically the Osprey does all the work. So they will guide their refueling probe into the, the basket. So the, the, the MC-130 doesn't have to do much. It just stays on, on its track and, and lets the Osprey come up to hit yeah come up to the basket when the roles are reversed and we're refueling off the tanker the amount of work that the pilots were doing coming up to the boom was quite amazing you know it, it's basically like a controlled crash if you like because you've got two airplanes that are attached in midair and you know coming up to the boom the boom is is sometimes only five ten feet away from from the, yeah. the windscreen um and the pilot is keeping it so steady as steady as he can and then you can hear the the, the boom plug into your receptacle um, with a big thud and then you're attached and yeah once you're attached you kind of it's kind of simple the pilots can just st you know stay steady um 
and the boom operator does their thing. But yeah, it's just a such an art, you know, seeing it for real. And have, I have been on on the other side of it as well, you know, in a KC135 refueling certain aircraft and and seeing it from that side of it as well. It's it's amazing, you know. The, the skill involved is is superb. You know, so, you know. Yeah. Of um. Yeah. You know, I, I flew out of Travis at, at, at one point on a KC10, which I said earlier, and we refueled a C5, and refueling a C5 was like nothing that I've refueled before because the the sheer size of it. And it creates such a bow wave in front of the aircraft that you can feel yeah. it pushing the KC-10 away from it. Boom operators, they they don't really enjoy plugging C5s because of because of that reason. But seeing such a huge aircraft behind you or behind the KC-10, you know, from the boom window is just amazing. Incredible, really. That's hopefully I'll be able to do something like that one day. And but how was going through the mock loop at um, night? It it was in the cockpit. You're you're fine because you know it's you're turning and you're you're quite low and you can pull a little bit of G. I'm not sure how many G you pull, but around the tight turns you can. But if you're in the back, it's really disorientating you know because you're yeah you can't you've got nothing to focus your eyes on you, you you're facing a different direction um but there was a point where we we came around one of the hills um towards the end of of the mission and um i was just standing behind the co-pilot and looking out the window and then all of a sudden look up front through the wind windscreen and all i could see was like a wall of white and it was thick fog. So we were come we came around this hill and all of a sudden there's just a wall of fog. And we lit the pilot just pulled back on the stick and we just climbed and we, we sort of decided to head yeah. home. But that was quite scary because you come around and at the time there was a full moon at the time, so you could your eyes could adjust looking out the window and you could see the shapes of the hills either side of you and then you just see this wall of, of fog. And it it approaches really quickly, <laughs> you know. From the moment you see yeah. it, it's like bang. Okay, the pilot was pulling back on a stick, and we were we were heading back. But yeah, it was really impressive to see. It I couldn't really gauge how low we were, obviously because it was dark. Um, I imagine in, during the day it had been a, a bit more fun flying that low. Turning and burning around the hills. Yeah, but still, you got you got to fly through the uh, the infamous yeah. little mock loop, so you can actually say I've flown through the mock yeah, loop. Yeah, there is that, I guess. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the mock loop, have you ever been out there to go shoot the jets when they used to fly a little yeah, level I've through been, there? Yeah, I've been a couple of times. It's about a four and a half hour journey for me, so it's quite a quite a way. It's uh, sorry, four and a half hours there and four and a half hours back, so it's 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 a long way for oh. me to go um, to sit on a hill and not get anything and you know a wasted journey yeah but no i did yeah. go i think it was about a year before the tornado um retired i went with a mate and we um we uh went up one of the hills and we only got one tornado come through but 
you know, it was a tornado low level. So, you know, I'll, t- I'll take that. I'll take that over nothing. Um, oh, yeah. And then I think I went, my first time was in 2005 when I went and I got, I think we saw a Harrier and two Jaguars come through low level, which was wow. pretty cool. Yeah, back then there were, Jaguars were quite active. Obviously, they're, they're no longer, they got retired in 06, I think it was, or 07. Um, yeah. But yeah, they were, they sort of, the Harriers and the Jags, I think, they just love low level. They were, according to a, low, a lot of low level photographers, they, they were the lowest through the loop. They just loved it. That must have been really cool yeah. to see. Yeah, it's pretty good. Well, hey, man, let's uh, let's start wrapping her up. So, do you have any tips, words of encouragement, or anything else for the listeners out there? You let like just share? keep doing what you're doing. Uh, if you enjoy it, um, just carry on doing it. the The hobby is as a whole is, is getting more and more popular. Um, so, obviously, just don't let that put you off. You know, there being hundreds and hundreds of people there. Just just go and do your thing. Enjoy it and um, be yourself you know and yeah just enjoy yeah that that's you know simple but that's some pretty powerful words just be yourself be you know uh yeah be humble be kind and just you know be nice to other people out there too because it can pay dividends in the future like you don't know who you're going to be talking to exactly and, and I, you know, you I've, know i've met a lot of my buddies i've met through the hobby like through just going to air bases you know 15 years ago when I, I went to RF Cultural for the Jaguars and Mildenhall, you know, I met most of my good friends there and we've, we've you know, it creates friendships. Um, yeah, so, yeah, just enjoy it, really it and keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So where can uh, the listener out there find your work? So we know that we can find you in combat aircraft. Uh, what about a Flickr, Instagram, or any other media sites that you have? You know, where can people see your aviation yeah, so stuff? Yeah, so um, I've got an Instagram account, um, which is Ashley Wallace Photography, and I've also got a website, which is www.ashleywallacephotography.com. On there, you'll find most of my magazine features that I've written for Combat Aircraft, a collection of all my aviation images, and then a selection of other photography as well. So I've got a wildlife, I've got landscapes, um, astro, everything's on there, um, and a blog as well. So I try and keep it updated when I can. And I do have a Flickr as well, which is just Ashley Wallace. Cool. Well, I'll definitely go give you a follow on Flickr here, here Thanks, shortly. Man, I appreciate um, it. I'm on there as well. So absolutely. And, um, yeah, man, I can't thank you enough. I know we, we it's, it's been a process to try and get you on here, different yeah, schedules yeah, sure. to line up. It's It took us a couple of weeks to get this um, ready to go, but I am so glad we got this worked out. This was a great discussion, a great talk. You're a very interesting guy, and um, I hope the listener enjoyed this interview as much as I did Thanks, doing man, it. Thanks, man, I appreciate it. So um, I know, absolutely, I know it's getting late for you there. It's... Uh, Almost 3 p.m. here in the state of Idaho, so it's yes. getting what 10 o'clock for you yeah, over there in England. Quarter right to now? 10 p.m. here in the evening, yeah, getting a bit late. Well, hey man, um, I'll let you get to bed here shortly, but uh, anything else to add before we, uh, before no, just we end the talk? Thanks very much for having me on, and uh, 
hope everyone's enjoyed it. Great, thanks very much. Awesome, man. Absolutely, man. All right. All right, guys. That was that was a pretty awesome interview, don't you agree? I just think the story about him being in Qatar at Al Udeed with the B1s and going up in a running B1 five minutes before a combat launch is absolutely insane. Man. Well, you guys need to go check his stuff out. Go check out his blog. Go check out his website. Seriously, give him some traffic. He is an awesome, awesome photographer, and he's an even more awesome person to talk to. We talked for a, almost a solid hour after the interview was done. And you know, this is the part of the podcast where I always say, if you know someone that wants to come on and talk aviation, or you think you know somebody that should come on talk aviation with me, you know the drill. Send me an email, appspotterspodcast at gmail.com. Send me a DM on Twitter, at BOISpotter. Send me a DM on Instagram, at BOISpotter. Send us a message on Facebook, The Aviation Spotters Podcast. And also speaking on Facebook, please go check us out. Like, follow, and all that good stuff. I've hit some snaps with the YouTube page. Hopefully we'll get that there soon. But please, please, please share this with your network. Share them with any people that you think would like this sort of stuff. It would really, really help me out. We have a lot of exciting plans here for the next couple of weeks and a couple of months. There may be some stickers coming on. So who knows? I might be doing a sticker give out here once I get these guys ready to go. If you guys do, maybe I might start sharing them with you guys. So, but you guys need to help me out. Share it out. You know, tell everybody about this. So anyway, guys... That's it for me here on another episode of the Aviation Spotters Podcast. We'll catch you guys in the next two weeks. Times as always, keep those cameras ready, those batteries charged, and we'll catch you next time here on another episode of the Aviation Spotters Podcast. <laughs>